Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to After the Jag Corps, navigating your career progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Matt Schultz. Matt was a direct commission to the Navy JAG Corps and spent about eight years in the Corps before punching out and is still living the life. He's lived in Tennessee and he's lived and he now lives in Seattle. So Matt, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. So we were talking a little bit here before we hit the record button. You did eight years, but uh, you seem to have packed a lot into that eight years. Yeah, I I was lucky enough to get stationed out in the Northwest when I first Got in. I was at Nilsa Northwest and got to do all sorts of things and fell in love with the Pacific Northwest during that time and was lucky enough to be able to stay out here for a second tour and got assigned as the deputy staff judge advocate or command judge advocate on John C. Stennis and got to deploy with them and got bridge qualified and everything like that. So it was a great time. And then, um, yeah, lucky enough to move to San Diego after that, which is pretty awesome place to live for three years. And then I uh, was the first PDO at Rilso Southwest out there. And then we just can't sort of came to a crossroads between my wife and I. She had completed her PhD and we knew if I was going to stay in, it was going to be a couple more moves. And we really wanted her to have an opportunity to have a career. And so she did a national job search and got recruited to go to Vanderbilt and as a professor of uh, math education. So I was lucky enough to be able to pull up chalk and detach after that and stayed in the reserves. So I've been in the reserves since uh, 2015 now. So your wife got this job in Vanderbilt. And uh, what was your transition like going to Tennessee? It was tough. We didn't have any connections, personal or professional in Nashville, Tennessee. Even though Nashville is a large city, it's not a huge federal job or military community. Obviously, Millington is not too far away. It's about three hours so there really wasn't a lot of professional connections. And so it was a lot of just networking and trying to meet as many people as you could possibly meet. And hopefully something was going to click. It took me a long time, though. I mean, I, I think from the time you arrived, to the time I actually got my first job, there was about 18 months. And luckily, I had the reserves to, to do some work there. But there were some days it, it was tough. Uh, it was tough to deal with. So let's talk about that a little bit more. You already alluded to the fact that you had no connections whatsoever to the Nashville area. So how did you go about doing that? What did Matt's job search look like? How did you try to execute that? It was a lot of just reaching out to every, anybody I possibly could. I mean, I would Google JAG, Nashville, anything to see if I could find anybody who had any sort of connection. And if I heard of anybody who had a military connection, I would shoot them an email and reach out to them. and 
almost across the board. I mean, anybody was willing to talk with you. It wasn't necessarily that they had a job, but they would talk with you about their experience, how they transitioned, what they're doing now, what advice they might have. And then I always asked, I would always ask like, hey, is there anybody else I should talk to? And usually it would kept branching off. So I, I had this chart of all these people I was talking to and the connection to them when I had last spoken to them. And it helped me try to navigate it all. But it, it certainly wasn't always easy. And the thing that I kept finding was they wanted very specific experience. And it was really hard to translate the military experience into something that made sense and a good fit for some of those positions. Because at that point, I had eight years in, a law firm didn't want a first-year associate, and a general counsel really wanted more direct experience, but I just didn't have at that point. So it was really about finding someone who was willing to take a chance on. It took a long time, but luckily I did get a connection with the Tennessee Attorney General's office. And even though I really had no interest in going into litigation at all, it was a foot in the door. And so I took that opportunity and, and did that for about a year. What was the level of frustration in that 18-month search? Was there just days that you're like, I'm done, I'm never going to find a job? Oh, absolutely. It was both good and bad because you know it, it gave me a chance to get accustomed to, to learn about the Nashville area a little bit more. We also were house hunting, and so I was able to find a house. And I did have a temp job when we closed on the house, which balancing that out was just, was just really complicated. So not having a full-time job had some benefits then because it did allow us to get moved into the new house. And then my wife became pregnant with our second child. And so after he was born, I was able to spend more time with them. And so there were some benefits to it, but there were definitely days where, you know, I'd have an interview. I thought it would, I thought it went really well. And then to find out that they wanted someone with more direct experience or that they weren't willing to take the chance. And so it, it got frustrating. I got really close a few times on a, on a couple jobs and there were some days where you're just like, am I ever going to find anything? I flirted with a couple jobs. And what I found a little maddening is you, you may not ever hear anything. Not even you were good, but not good enough, or we're looking something else. I mean, did you have the fair amount of those where people just did not, you know, you had an interview, you had a connection, and that was the last contact you had with that? Yeah. I would always ask, what's what sort of timeline are you looking at? And they would say, oh, a couple of weeks or a month or whatever. They just didn't know. And and you didn't hear back. And then I always would struggle with, okay, should I send an email to say, hey, just checking in to see if, if you need anything? I'm still really interested in the position. Or should I not send that? Do I feel too needy? I mean, it's just this game. like You, you play this back and forth. And ultimately, just my uh, anxiety would get to me so much that I finally would break down and email them. And you know, a lot of it was just, and I can see this from being on the other side now, sometimes it is just, it's really hard to get people together. And so I do have an appreciation for that, but I definitely think back to those days where I didn't hear from anybody. And so I try not to leave them hanging and try to say, Hey, I, I haven't forgotten about you. And we're just really busy. and still, we're still working on it. Yeah. I, I, that's one, I think, cultural thing that the party military lawyers have to get used to is that there's not necessarily a closure on these job applications. And I've talked to others and said, you know, I put in an application, didn't hear anything. And eight, nine months later, I get a call. And so I think that's one of the mental hurdles that we need to get over. But you got your foot in the door. You were about to say with the uh, a Tennessee uh, Attorney General's office. But tell us about that connection, because I think it underscores the value of networking. Yeah. So uh, again, I had been reaching out to all sorts of people. And 
I was checking news articles and would, would go on LinkedIn all the time. And I saw that a gentleman by the name of Paul Nye had been appointed as the deputy Tennessee attorney general. And then I went on LinkedIn and saw that he had a connection to somebody who I had known. And so I reached out to that person and said, hey, I, I just saw Mr. Nye got named this position. Would you be willing to reach out for me? And he said, oh, absolutely. He'd be a great fit. I know he's just new, but he loves military. I found out that Paul had been on the DOD general counsel side or secretary of Navy general counsel side. And I believe if I remember correctly, he served as the interim general counsel for the department of the Navy for a little while. So I ended up having coffee with him and he absolutely was just a great resource and said, after he got it more comfortable, he would try to help me out and get me in front of the right people. And it took, you know, like you, you mentioned about things taking a long time. I mean, it took a good eight, nine months. I, I just thought, oh, maybe it's not going to happen. And ultimately something did happen, but Paul was just a great resource for me. And shortly after I arrived, he was nominated to be the DOD general counsel, so which was an amazing opportunity for him. So he took that under uh, General Mattis, and he was his first general counsel. And so yeah, so it was it was really good to have a connection there. And I'm confident if I didn't have that connection, didn't make that connection, uh, I would not have gotten that job. You went into the assistant attorney general role, which you were there for a year and three months. And anybody can find Matt on LinkedIn. But talk about that job. You shared with me that you really weren't looking to get into litigation, but you got your foot in the door. So take us through working there and how that evolved into your next job. I really wasn't looking to go into litigation. I, you know, I, I don't mind sharing. I've I've had issues with anxiety, and you know, when I when I did try litigation in the Navy, uh, I realized very quickly that it wasn't going to be for me, and just due to some of my anxiety issues, but. I got this opportunity, and so I decided to take it. It was in healthcare, an area which I knew nothing about. And so we defended the state against uh, lawsuits, against the state's Medicaid system. It, it was just a really trying job because there were, there were horrible, horrible, difficult cases. Kids who are aging out of programs and who need 24-7 care, and you've got this system that you have to defend. And it was just really trying. And I don't mind sharing. I, just, I, I didn't do a great job. I tried hard, but it just, it just wasn't for me. I think everybody knew that. And so after a while, I started looking and somebody referred to it, told me once about this thing they called the JAG Court two-step, which I had never heard about. They said, listen, your first job out of the JAG Court is not going to be your dream job. It's your setup job. Your second one is the one that's going to be your good job. So just get your foot in the door and then do the JAG Court two-step and move on shortly after that. And so that's what I did. I, I was in with Tennessee state government and then a position opened up as the deputy general counsel for the Department of Human Resources, which, again, I had never really done employment law, but as I read more about it, I thought a lot of it seemed very similar to my time when I was on the aircraft carrier. And it gave me an opportunity to lead again. So I reached out to them and had a couple of interviews and they selected me pretty quick and it was a pretty quick turnaround. I think I, I think it was about one month from the time I put my application into the day I started. And I really wanted to get that leadership aspect that I, I really enjoyed at, at the JAG Corps. And this was an opportunity to do that. And so I was just, I was really happy uh, when I got that job and to see how well it, a lot of the things that we did as SJAs just transitioned over really well. It was almost seamless. Yeah, I want to, I want to follow up on that in the sense of two points you made. One, it looked a lot like your time on the aircraft carrier. And two, you got to bring the leadership. How so, and what does leadership look like to you? How did you get to lead 
because it's an oft-repeated theme here is we bring leadership, but how do we lead? What is it on the outside that people say, we want what Matt has to offer? That's a good question. I go back to that sort of Jag part two step a little bit because I think it depends on where you are too. If you're not looking to get in with a federal contractor or you're not looking to get in at a DOD or federal government job, it's definitely harder because, I mean, I could I could go in this whole talk about leadership. I, I talk about leadership a lot in my current position and transitioning from being sort of the worker bee to being a leader. And some people can do it. Some people can't. There's lots of books out there and talks and you can look them all up. I was really lucky when I saw this position at the Tennessee Department of Human Resources that very clearly in the job posting, it talked about leading a team. So I was able to focus a lot on that. And the thing about leadership is you can lead at any level. You might not actually be supervising someone, but you can be leading people through a legal process. You can be leading people through providing advice. You know, So even if you're one of one, you need to see yourself as a leader. And if you want to get into one of those roles where you actually are supervising people, it, it takes a mind shift. You're not just doing the job. You're taking care of the people who do the job. There's a, a guy by the name of Simon Sinek out there, and you can look him up on YouTube. He's got tons of talks, but he talks about this shift is to not being in charge of something, about, but it's about taking care of the people in your charge. And that's really where my mind had to shift to. And that's where I wanted it to go. Not everybody wants to do that. Some people want to just crack open the books and do the legal research. And I was at a point where I, while I was interested in that, I didn't want that to be my full-time position. And I was able to communicate that and find a position where that's what they wanted. And at the Department of Human Resources, I had a great team. I didn't have to be the expert. I had experts who were uh, working for me and with me. And it was really collaborative. So I never pretended that I was the smartest person in the room. I knew I wasn't. I just knew how to, to sort of filter what the experts said and make it so it was in these digestible nuggets for higher leadership. Going back to your carrier tour, is it a matter of knowing that the job demands were greater than you physically could ever try to handle and having to trust, for example, the legal men to tee you up for success? Was that part of it? Was it part of being the JAG who knows nothing about ship operations or aviation? And having to learn about your clients so that you can effectively communicate and support them? Are those things of leadership that, in your opinion, are invaluable experience that you brought over from the military? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I learned is how to ask a lot of questions and be curious. And there is a sort of humility that goes along with being a leader, I think. And I, I think just knowing it's really hard to trust people. I think I remember in our first tour, when you're a trial attorney, you're used to being in law school and you're used to having to do everything by yourself. You're used to having to do all the research by yourself. And suddenly you're put in this role where you might have some legal men who are reporting to you, uh, even though you're a first tour trial counsel or defense counsel, you've got to rely on them. And that was really, really hard. And I didn't do a great job at it. I had some help, but it was really hard to to give it up. And then when I went to the carrier, I remember it's just, it was so overwhelming that you couldn't do everything. And just something at some point, something clicked where I said, I, I can't do everything. I've got this team beneath me that I'm responsible for, for the day-to-day -day operations. And it wasn't going to do them any good either. If I just sat there and did, tried to do it all by myself. And so it got to the point where I could trust them and had a great chief. 
couple of chiefs and it got to the point where I could trust them enough that I actually was able to go work on the bridge and get bridge qualified so they could handle things while I was up there learning how to drive the ship and launch and recover aircraft. That was really a turning point for me in terms of where I said I really wanted to be a leader. Yeah, there's some of these things that you were talking about just kind of hit me. And I mean, I had the same experience. I had a, a legal man. I didn't know jack about administrative separations or all the other parts of a legal practice. And it was a legal man who carried me. I would repeat his answers back as I'm asking him on the phone. And, you know, he was mouthing them. And I'd look brilliant because I had that legal man. And then, you know, as I got senior learning, you don't have to do it yourself. And that your job is to take care of them and the other facets of their lives. So you did the Department of Human Resources. Was there other aspects? I mean, you didn't know anything about employment law. How quickly were you able to pick that up? Legislative affairs, statewide policies, about how did you fare in doing all that? Yeah, employment law was was a lot like administrative separation. We didn't work with unions that much. And we did have a very, we did have sort of an appeal process for if you were getting dismissed from state service, but in a lot of ways mirrored sort of our administrative separation process. It's the point that I would even bring in parts of our admin board script to try to help smooth the process out and make it go a little quicker. So there, there were some specifics I had never heard of the FMLA or really had much experience with the ADA or anything like that. But you know, you learn in the Navy how to read laws and regulations. And it's not that different. It's just applying a different set of variables to a similar fact pattern. And again, I, I had a, a great team of attorneys who I was working with, and I could ask some questions and we would have really interesting discussions. I, that was one of my favorite parts was just going to their desk and saying, hey, I've got this weird situation. What, what do you think about it? And Getting to the point where they knew that I, I really was curious. I wasn't telling them how to get it done. I said, I, I need you to help me get smart on this. And I always consider myself a generalist, you know, master of nothing, but good at a lot of stuff, but master at nothing, expert at nothing. And I love that. I love being able to shift, to shift gears and not be so focused on just one thing. Yeah, it wasn't difficult because of the nature of my position. But I was the number two employment attorney in the, in the state of Tennessee. And I was like, no, that's not true at all. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know Jack. I might look like I do, but in my position might might be. But I, I just manage the team. I could talk a little bit about it, but I certainly, you would not want me testifying as some <laughs> expert at a presentation on employment law. But my title looked, looked good. And so I understood why they said it. There was some pressure there, too, about saying, you know, you, you, you've got it. Even though you don't know it, you can't show that to your team. And I took a little bit of a different tactic of saying, hey, we're all in this together. One team, one fight, which is something I got from the military and something I still use to this day. I still quote that one team, one fight mentality to everybody I work with. You didn't stay there long, three years. And now Seattle, Washington. And I know that there was a COVID issues in there. That's when COVID was going on. But take us through transitioning from Tennessee to Seattle. Why did you move? And talk about getting the current job that you're filling right now. Yeah. So November 2020, we we're in the midst of COVID. I mean, we we're about seven, eight months into it at that point. My wife and I were both working full time. And to be honest, I mean, with taking care of kids, my wife working full time, me working full time from home, some some duties had slacked. There was no doubt about that. 
And we just got to the point where a decision had to be made. I knew I still had the reserves. And luckily in the reserves, I was with a flex drill unit and could do work from home. It could take opportunities. And so ultimately, I decided to resign from my position with the Department of Human Resources and focus more time on family in the reserves. So that was November 2020. And then only a couple months later, the kids started going back to school, at least part time. And we started to think about what is it we really wanted to do? Where is it we really wanted to be? We, we enjoyed Nashville. We were getting to know our neighbors and things were good. But I think we, we both knew Nashville was never our forever place. Mm-hmm. And we were from Minneapolis or from St. Paul in Minneapolis and didn't really see opportunities to go back there. But for all the bad things that happened with COVID, and there's tons of them, I think it did sort of force us to, it forced us to think about what is it that's truly important to us? What is it that we want to do with our lives? And we kept thinking back to our time in Seattle and how much we loved it. And so we said, you know, let's let's look out there and see if we can find something. And so I started looking in Seattle, started going through the same process I did when I was in Nashville. I was contacting anybody and everybody I could think of. I still had some connections out here. And just by happenstance, my wife was searching, was rec- someone recommended that she look at this website for some teaching positions. And it was a government jobs website. And she came across this chief legal and civil rights officer position at the Office of Superintendent for Public Instruction, which is the Washington Department of Education, essentially. And it never would have come up in my search because it was in Olympia, Washington, which is about 60 miles south of Seattle. And so I I looked at the post and talked about being a cabinet member for the state agency, which it was a separately elected office. You know, it was education loss. It's like, oh, there's there's no chance. I, I don't know anything about this. But I thought, you know, I did the Department of Human Resources job and I didn't have employment law experience. Maybe, maybe this would work. And so I, I put together an application and uh, submitted it. And it took a while. Like, I, I, I think it was two months or so before I heard anything back on a first interview and then did a virtual first interview, I think in May of 2021, and then had two or three more interviews after that, all virtual. And then as it just so happens, I think it was right before the 4th of July, my wife and I both got calls on the same day from different places, but Mm. offering us jobs in Washington. And so about a month later, we packed up and moved out and got here in August of 2021 and then started September 1st of 2021. And so I've been here now for 16 years as the chief legal and civil rights officer, which has been, it's been great. That's incredible because, you know, they, they tell you most of the jobs come from connections and networking. You found that out in your own experience. And you also are someone who actually applied for a job that was posted online with no connections and got it. But yeah. uh, obviously your experience with a state government in Tennessee probably gave you a leg up on getting this job in, in Washington State. So any other key lessons or points you think people have, or, I mean, there's enough in your story alone about perseverance and frustration and lessons to be learned from jumping into an area that you've never been and just plugging away. There's a lot of lessons there. And then, you know, how that proverbial foot in the door, as you call it, the JAG two-step, how important that can be that sometimes going for the job that you need vice the job you want sometimes leads you to the job that you didn't know you ever liked and you end up loving. 
one thing that I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for is you can take something from every position you've ever had in the Navy. And from any job you've had, even going back before the Navy, there are aspects from every job that you can learn from, good or bad. And I think that's one of the things that I've tried to take with me. I think I tell my my staff is probably so tired of hearing all my Navy stories, but they all they all relate back to something we're dealing with. It could be something in leadership. It could be something in dealing with a scenario that's in front of us. But there there's so many analogies you can draw from your experience. And it does take someone to take a chance on you when you're when you're getting out because for a lot of us, it is tough to draw that bright line from the work I did in the Navy to what this current civilian employer wants me to do. That's a tricky step. But and I, I was incredibly lucky with this with this position that they they saw the leadership, they wanted the leadership, and they, you know, they knew from day one I wasn't going to be an education law expert. They had been without this chief legal and civil rights officer position for a few months. So they I think they knew. They didn't need to have an educational law expert. They just needed somebody to, to steer the ship in the right direction. Um, and that's largely what I've done while, while learning all the ins and outs of education law that I can. We certainly are able to do that quickly. I used to joke with people when they would say, how could you come in here and you know nothing about this area of the law? How could you come in here and make a difference? And I would say, you know, when I was on the carrier, I didn't know how to be a bridge officer. They don't teach you how to drive a ship in law school. <laughs> but within a year, I got qualified and trusted to do that. If I can do that, I think I can pick up this area of the law pretty quick. Not saying that resonated with somebody, but at least it was memorable. So I I think you got to find your way in. It is a frustrating slog. It is hard. It is sometimes very humbling. Just know though, too, that you've got a lot of people out there who can help you talk you through it. What I have found in, in all of this process is that I can always reach out to my friends who are JAGs. And at the very least, they're willing to listen. That's been invaluable. And I think having a podcast like this, where you hear about other people's stories, hopefully something I say resonates with someone. And if they need anything, they can reach out. I've been lucky enough to, to meet some great people and get connected with some mentors who I never would have had before. It's been tough, but it, it's all, it all leads up to something. And like I said, I, I could not imagine being in a position like where I'm at now, but it's been incredibly rewarding. Well, Matt, I can say the same thing. I met some incredible mentors through this podcast, and you just joined that list. You may not think that your story is that remarkable, but I think you've nailed it. It can be a tough slog, but we bring a lot to the table. And I don't think we recognize it because we serve along a lot of people that are like us. The people that come into the JAG Corps have that sense of mission, whether it's Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, now Coast Guard and Space Force, they have a a sense of mission and they're go-getters. And then you serve among a whole group of those. But I thank you for adding to that list of mentors. I've learned something from each and every person that I've talked to on this podcast. And there's some things I'm going to take away from our discussion today. So thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.